Over the last two weeks, we have covered the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. We have seen it has been a glorious entry with worship and praise directed towards Jesus. The problem we saw was that it was very superficial. We saw that a large group of people were proclaiming Jesus was the coming Messiah. But by the end of the week, most had abandoned him. We saw that the popularity was actually part of the reason Jesus was doomed to be killed by the religious elites at the end of the week. As his popularity grew among the people, his perceived threat to the religious elites grew. So popularity, in a sense, sealed Jesus' fate in the minds of the religious elites of his day. They thought he had to die. And not even the religious holiday of Passover was going to stop their barbaric plot. They were going to have him dead before the end of the week. He was getting too popular. As John's Gospel says, they were afraid Rome would come in and take them over and they would lose everything. We saw that this meant that the disciples were going to face a tremendous trial over the coming week. They would go from the highest of highs as they walked in with Jesus riding on the colt to the lowest of lows as Jesus was taken from them, beaten and crucified. They would literally watch as their glorious Messiah was taken away and treated horribly. Jesus knew this would be a hard week for his disciples. Anyone who followed him would probably be devastated and brought to a point of great despair. I mean, this is why Peter thought he was going to, he could take it. I'll stand with you no matter what. He thought his popularity was too high. He thought that he was going to set up his kingdom maybe. And the reality was is that he was in for a horrible week. It would be one of those weeks of emotional roller coaster for sure. However, Jesus made sure that he gave his disciples a glimpse into his sovereignty even over the horrific sin that was going to be done to him. Jesus, in the triumphal entry, used it as a way to describe and show his glory. Show that despite all these things that are happening, I'm in control. As I ride in on this colt that I told you to go into the next city and get, that was there just as it was supposed to be. Remember, last week we saw Jesus revealed his total control of all events. And this would have been a great encouragement to his disciples to trust him when things go bad. We saw our faith is founded upon the strength, power, and sovereignty of the object of our faith. Faith is based on what we put our trust in. The object has to be strong, powerful, and sovereign. So we will trust it. Our faith is not based on our strength, our power, or our sovereignty. We trust in the Lord because He is trustworthy. He is strong. He is able. He is Lord. He is powerful. He's in control. And that's what we've seen in the triumphal entry. 
Remember, we saw Jesus revealed his sovereignty in the events of the triumphal entry. We saw it in his cult. We saw it in his kingship. And we saw it in his worshipers. Remember, we saw God had ordained that Jesus would ride in on the colt of a donkey. Jesus revealed he was in control of the animal he would ride into into Jerusalem on. Jesus revealed he was in control of his own role as king. He revealed he was even in control of his own worshipers. Remember, he made it clear that if the disciples did not acknowledge his worth, and cry out worship to him, the stones would then cry out. Pointing rhetorically to his own sovereignty over the creation even. The Lord was riding into the city on the exact day that God had said he would ride into 600 years previously. The Lord was riding into the city in the exact way that God had said he would ride in 500 plus years ago as prophesied by the prophet Zechariah. Remember, we saw there was a great lesson for all of us in Jesus' display of sovereignty. We saw when the world is turned upside down on us, or in our minds at least, we must make our way back to the truth that despite our lack of understanding of things, God is still in control. And he has his glory and our best interest at heart. Our good, his glory. We might not know how our circumstances are for our best, but God knows how they are best for us. So this week, what happens? You know, I talked to you last week about how God is intimately involved in every detail. All right? And then what happens? 20 kids are killed by a shooter. A masked gunman, a crazed gunman, walks in and shoots 20 kids. Again, as we think on this, we might be tempted to think, this is chaos. This is chaos. We might be tempted to think, if God is in total control, then he must be pretty mean to ordain such horrific events. But folks... Both of these ways of thinking are wrong. God was not out of control this week. God didn't lose control of that man. Is God responsible for the sin? No, he's not responsible for the sin. But was he still in control? Yes. Are there a million questions that come to your mind at this moment and you say, how? Why? Sure, they come to your mind. But God is not some mean ogre up there that ordains this without any feeling for those children. He isn't. I'm taking a little side jot just a little bit to kind of deal with this because I think it's important for us to think on this. Because you're going to be asked these questions, and I strongly advise you, you go in, and especially you'll see in my last point and just the prep here, this is not going to be something that's completely understand by, un, understood by the world. Do you understand? A person that doesn't know the glorious gospel, it's going to be very hard to reconcile all this. It's going to be difficult. But as we get there, you'll understand a little better. There's some important truths 
for us to remember in light of tragedies and things like this, in light of God knowing, us knowing that God is sovereign. First, God's delight is not in the death of the wicked. It's very important. Ezekiel 33:12 says, "As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked." Now, is God in control? Yes, but it does not delight him. While God does not allow or God, rather, while God does allow these wicked sins, he does not take joy in the sin or the ones who do those sins outside of him. God drives over and and looks through and sees this sin and anguishes over it. He cries. He grieves. God sees these things from a totally different perspective than us, ladies and gentlemen. This is so important for you to get. This brings us to our next point. God's ways are far above our ways. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Again, we must know and understand how we interpret the world and what's happening is totally different than God's ways and thoughts. All too often, when we look at events in our society and our culture, we look through our paradigm, we look through our worldview, we look through human perspective. We must understand God is far above us. He sees the big picture. He understands things way better than we do. He's God. We are humans and our perspective is informed only by our senses. But our senses are limited. We do not see the spiritual world. We must recognize God has a better perspective than ours. His ways and thoughts are far better than ours. And far above ours. But we also must trust they are always right even when we don't understand. Now that is so important. You know, a lot more children passed away when the tsunami came through. When that tsunami came through, thousands of children died. How do we reconcile these truths? Well, here's what we do. We go to the character of God revealed in his word that says that he's righteous and he's good. And though I don't understand, you know what's best. So I trust you. I don't get it. If I were God, I might do something different, but I don't have the perspective you have. You are God. I am not. Which brings us to another key truth to remember about God's controlling work. God's work has an eternal perspective. So very important. Look at this Romans 16 verse. Verses. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past but now is manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all nations, leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. God is eternal. God's perspective has eternity past and eternity future in mind. All of it. See, all that God does 
has an eternal perspective, an eternal view. If you were an Old Testament saint, the years waiting for the Messiah must have been some pretty confusing years, huh? You must have asked. Many of the Old Testament saints must have thought, the believers of the Old Testament, why not just send the Messiah instead of Moses? He would have been better than Moses. Why not just send the Messiah instead of David, King David? Why not then? Why not send the Messiah at the end of the days of the prophet and prophets instead of waiting 400 years of silence? Why not then? The question has to be answered. Why does God do what he does in time? Answer? Because God's eternal. He knows what's the exact perfect time for things to happen, no matter what they are. Everything. He's an eternal God. God has an eternal perspective. And then at the exact right time, Jesus showed up. You've got to trust this, ladies and gentlemen. And I don't know about you, but I am thankful that I don't have to interpret the news of the day through my worldview that is apart from God. But I can interpret my the things, the news of the world through a God perspective, the Bible. It makes sense because God is in control and he knows things that I don't know so I can trust him instead of trusting my mind to figure it out. If you've watched any news about these events, have you not been shocked or bewildered by everybody trying to figure it out why would a guy do this why did these things happen maybe it's gun control that we need to take care of or or maybe he had a sickness a mental illness and they they try to interpret all these things i mean it it just doesn't make sense and everybody contradicts everybody or you can go with what the bible says God is God. I don't completely understand it, but he does. I'm going to trust him. Now, warning, warning, warning. I have a pastor friend of mine, Joey, that, and I want you to pray, and I posted that this week. I want you to pray for him because he is in that town. And he's ministering to those people. Fairly sure he would not preach this way. He might just sit there and cry with them for the first time year but the grounding of these truths are grounded in joey and so he is ready to minister to these people so let's pray for him and he will gently and slowly call call them to the truths of scripture this could be a great time for them of learning and leaning on the savior that's what we want right and finally i want you to notice that God's sovereignty is best understood in the gospel. The gospel itself is the greatest demonstration of God's sovereignty. In other words, we can really start to understand the glory of God's sovereignty when we get the big picture understanding of the gospel. Please, folks, listen. This world does not make any sense apart from knowing the gospel. It doesn't. You've got to know Jesus and what he's done for you. And then the world starts to make a little bit of sense. Folks, the gospel itself is the greatest demonstration of God's 
control of things. I want you to think about this, ladies and gentlemen. Listen. God took the ultimate bad and used it for good. He accomplished the whole work over roughly 2,000 years. And Jesus, last week before the cross, looked like the greatest defeat and most horrific injustice ever committed. But in fact, it was the greatest, glorious plan of God ever accomplished. (laughs) Now think about that for a second. If you were in the midst of that week, you would have said, what in the world is going on? (laughs) Innocent man killed. Crucify him. That makes no sense, does it? Anybody that dies in this world dies ultimately dead in sin. We're under Adam. Anybody that dies, none of us deserve to live. But Jesus was innocent. If there was ever one of the sovereignties of God that everybody should stand up and go, why? That would be it, right? You notice that the world never, ever, ever says, why did Jesus die? This was an atrocity. That doesn't happen. You could even say the life of Christ makes no sense in human terms. But in fact, it was the greatest demonstration of God's grace and sovereignty. Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Jesus was God incarnate. But he was despised and forsaken of men. Jesus was the creator, yet he allowed the creation to kill him. Jesus was the only perfect righteous person to ever live. And yet he was murdered as a criminal. He was the only king worthy of a throne. Over all the nations. And yet what? Even his own people rejected him as their king. Folks. Everything about Jesus. Cries injustice. From the world's perspective. But God used his son. And his son's life. And his son's death. To provide a reconciliation. With his people. Peace with God because of it. Man, aren't you thankful God takes bad and turns it for good? (laughs) Otherwise, we are going to hell and deserving it. See, this is what God's sovereignty assures. God's glory is revealed despite the world's wickedness. Oh, folks, hope is found in the gospel. The gospel is where we see God's sovereignty on display at its best. Now, in light of God's sovereignty, we must remember that there is human responsibility. It's not eliminated. We see today in our passage, Jesus still holds the Jews responsible for their rejection of him. We see that in this passage. You'll see it. That despite their rejection, hey, this God's in sovereign control. He knew they were going to do it. It was all about his providence, yet at the same time, he says you're going to get judged because you do it. (laughs) The same applies for that man that killed those children. What's going to happen to him? He took the coward's way out is what the world says, but that's, that's a lie. 
The reality is, is he took a hard way out. Because immediately he stepped into the presence of a holy and just God that will judge him. That's a scary thought. I don't know about you guys. That's horrifying. Everything this man did will be paid for. Just like everything Hitler did, Stalin did, and every other mass murderer who fails to turn to Christ and trust in him, will face a just judge. Are they responsible for their actions? Absolutely. Was God in control? Yes. How do I reconcile those two? Leave them. <laughs> Leave them sitting there and trust God. He knows what's best. Can we always immediately see the good in the tragedies of our lives and as the things fall apart around us? Can we always see why? And how is this good? Can we always see it? No. You might not see it for years. You might not see it until heaven. But because this book is true, it's for your good. So we trust him. I know it's a side note here, but I think it's important for us to really meditate on these things. You've got to think through it. I know some of us want to say, no, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't even want to think about it. Forget it. He's just bad. That guy was bad. Did God lose control on that morning? No, he didn't. Will that guy pay? Absolutely. Is God just? Yes. Does he know what's good? Yes. Can we always understand it? No. What are we called to do? Trust him. And does it mean that we should not grieve? Now, here's one of the things that gets me. Anybody that tends towards the hyper-Calvinist side, what do they do? Well, you just need to get over it. Come on, God's in control. You know, he's good. His purposes are good. Just, come on, get over it. Trust God. You're not trusting God. You're crying. That's called hyper-Calvinism. That is wrong. It's sin. Looking at things wrong. It's not a biblical worldview. It's very interesting to me. I love our passage today, and the timing of the passage is just spectacular, isn't it? Look at the timing. Ladies and gentlemen, what's the first thing Jesus does as he rides in? As he approaches Jerusalem, what's he do? Notice he's not celebrating. What's he doing? He's weeping. Let's look. He's weeping. The last two revelations of Jesus' sovereignty on the road to Jerusalem, his rejection. Verse 41, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now... They have been hidden from your eyes. Folks, Jesus has just been riding into the city with this great crowd cheering and worshiping Jesus. Yet he gets to the approach and sees the city 
It's as if when he comes down that Mount of Olives, you can see a beautiful picture of Jerusalem. You can just, it's right there for you to see. He sees it, and he begins to weep loudly. That word there is not just a little whimper. It's literally, he begins to wail. Now, I don't know about you guys, but put this together. The emotions already on this little trip are amazing. You've got people rejoicing and worshiping and praising him. Over the mountain sees the thing, wailing happens. <laughs> I wonder what the disciples are thinking. Why are you crying? What's going on? We're going to, hey, we're going to Jerusalem. The people are saying, you're the Messiah. Come on, let's go. What are you crying about? Why are you wailing? You know something's going to happen, folks. He was going to be rejected and he knew it. He knew they were clueless and they would reject him as a whole at the perfect opportunity. They didn't want peace with God, in a sense. They were rejecting his visitation. And he was sovereign even over his own death. We see this in the entire week. He tells Judas, listen, folks, this is amazing. Leave and do what you're going to do quickly. (laughs) If you knew somebody was going to betray you, (laughs) you knew you were going to be hung up on a cross, wouldn't you say, hey, where are you going? Sit back down. (laughs) Sit back down. We have something to talk about. Let me make sure you understand clearly what you are doing. That's us, isn't it? Isn't that us? Somebody's doing something wrong. We want to make sure they really know what they're doing wrong. We begin to have our own... One second. There we go. Have our own agenda. But Jesus knows this is part of God's plan. He said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple... And the elder who had come to him, elders who had come to him, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. He knows and willfully submits to the ordained time of mistreatment. Now I want you to notice something in this passage. Jesus knows as we see that his judgment for Jerusalem is also coming. That's in the next section. In effect, their judgment has already been sealed Because now they have rejected the way of peace. And it says literally, it has been hidden from your... It says, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. The judgment's already started. Now what causes Jesus to cry? I want you to think about this for a second. Why is he wailing? It's very obvious. Look at the passage. If you look at the context, you're going to see it. Why is he crying? Well, here's why we would cry, just a second, think about this, coming down the hill, going into Jerusalem, I'm going to die at the end of the week. You knew that, you knew it was going to be like that on a cross, what would you be wailing? Whoa, why are we going here? Why me? We'd be wailing about ourselves, we'd be crying, hey, get me out of this. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Right? Jesus isn't wailing that. He's not wailing over himself and the pain that he's going to take. 
He's not crying over himself. He's literally crying over those that are going to reject him and face judgment. That's staggering. Here's the thing that we have a hard time comprehending with God's sovereignty. I have a hard time. I have it. Me too. All of us in this room. As we know that God is ordaining all things, and as a bad event comes to us, we grapple against God's plan for us. We don't like that this is God's sovereign plan, so we cry over our circumstances, correct? When somebody treats us bad, what do we think? Oh, this guy. Man, if I could take him outside, I'd take him down. Or we think, why are they treating me this way? This isn't fair. Please. Come on, I shouldn't be treated this way. What did I do to you? Come on, I've said sorry. Won't you forgive me? All spouses say, amen. When are you going to let this go? Why are you going to continue to treat me this way? Right? Jesus isn't saying that as he rides into Jerusalem. He cries for the ones that are treating him bad. Because he knows what they will face for treating him bad. Oh, folks. How do we react? How would you react if you were Jesus riding into Jerusalem that day? How would you react? I don't know about you, but I think I'd be with Peter. Where's that sword? I've got a big crowd here. I think we could take a couple hundred of them. If I'm going down, I'm going to go down the way I want to go down. Or, why? This ain't fair. If there was anybody that could rode into Jerusalem and say, it's not fair, it's Jesus. But instead, what's he do? He cries for the ones that are going to kill him. Staggering, isn't it? Now, I know that there should be grief in your own hearts, ladies and gentlemen, when you look at the events that happened up in Connecticut. I don't know about you. It's good to cry over that, to feel compassion towards them. That is good. But at the same time, when the events start happening to us, when people start mistreating us, let's have the other person's interest at our heart, too. Are you more concerned about yourself and your feelings or the damage it is being, that is being done to the person who is rejecting you? Boy, that's a staggering thought. Anybody ever thought that when you got in a fight? <laughs> oh, no, no. No. No, don't, don't, don't say that mean thing to me. It's going to hurt your relationship with God. You're not going to be enjoying Christ if you say that to me. Now, we think this. We, we think this. You're hurting me. That's not fair. I'll give you a landmine. I'll give you something to step on. Ladies and gentlemen, so, so, so very important. Jesus shows us what compassion is all about. 
It's about putting others above yourself. He saw on them. He saw them. He saw that they were headed straight for judgment, and he cried over them. Okay, so question. How many of you have sobbed like that loudly toward people that are facing judgment? No, but I I guarantee you we are really good to throw out some scriptures to kind of condemn people with it, aren't we? Man, we can rip out some bombs on people. They do something bad, we can nail them with the Bible. I bet you everybody in here has you, uh, you probably have a list about a mile long that you can just whip out on your spouse at any moment. They say something bad, I'll just, whoop, there's that Bible bomb for you. We don't cry over them. We're not concerned for them. We're often elevating ourselves above them. Shame on us. Run to Christ. The one that loves us. The Lord's tears are over his enemy's demise. How many of you? Question, how many of you, when you have an enemy, you cry over their demise? How many of you? Anybody? This is Jesus. Oh, folks, we cry over the pain of being rejected while Christ cries over the consequences of those rejecting him. This is the kind of God we serve. Is he not good? While he is in total control, he still hurts and aches for even those who hate him. How about you? How about me? So just because Jesus is Lord over even his own rejection, he does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. In fact, he grieves over them. At the same time, we see here we have a high priest that can sympathize with us. He knows pain, doesn't he? He felt and feels pain over calamity. There is a great tension that we all must just live with. A tension that might not be fully understood by our simple minds until glory. God grieves over people being judged. Fact. God grieves over people being judged. But God still allows people to be judged, though he has the power to stop it. These truths must just sit side by side, never eliminating the other one. He's in total control and could change it, but he doesn't. And he grieves over them rejecting him. (laughs) Why? Why did he do it this way? Answer? Because God is God. And God knows what's best. He's no, he knows what's best for us. And he knows what's best for his glory. Finally, we see he's sovereign over his coming judgment. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another 
because you did not recognize the time of their visitation or your visitation. Again, we see here the details are undeniable, aren't they? Jesus states, judgment is sure. Jerusalem, which was the capital of the Jews, will be surrounded by their enemies. Notice the details. The days will come upon you. This is a guarantee, ladies and gentlemen, that a time was coming for judgment. It will be upon you. The pronoun you is mentioned numerous times in these two verses with an emphasis, Jerusalem is coming. You are in trouble. You are in trouble with an emphasis. When your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, this is exactly what Rome did in 70 AD. There was nowhere for them to run. Now, again, the details are pretty impressive, aren't they? Jesus tells exactly what's going to happen in 37 years from now. Tells exactly what's going to happen and gives great detail. Judgment's going to happen, and it's going to be this way. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. And guess what? That's exactly what happened 37 years later. very interesting to me his perspective on things is just still just amazing because the judgment happens 37 years later 37 years later how many of you have cried over something 37 years ago <laughs> he's crying wailing for the judgment that's going to happen in 37 years we're so now centered he sees the judgment to come in 37 and he, he cries over it. He weeps over it with passion. Now, again, these truths are sometimes hard for us to comprehend. Even the children were not spared. Let me ask you a question. 70 AD. When does Jesus say this? Roughly 33 AD. Children are going to be killed in 70 AD by Rome were they around in 33 when Jesus said this what did those children do wow that's pretty hard isn't it what do we say to that that's pretty intense Mike what do we do with that is anybody in here going I don't like that one. That one's not good. Anybody? Why? Well, because we have a limited view of God. We don't see things through the perspective of his, of his holiness. We think God should be like what we think. He's got to be like me. That's not fair, right? Anybody in here say it or think it? Right? It's not fair. But again, what are we doing? We've forgotten something very, very, very important. We're not God. He is. We've got to trust him even when we don't completely grasp it. The reality is, is that the Jews were rejecting him. There was a time of rejection that was coming, and that's what they did. And there was judgment. 
It literally says because, it gives the reason, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. The judgment's going to happen 37 years later after they had rejected him. Anybody in here going, that's not a nice passage? Anybody? I don't like this one. This one's a little uncomfortable. I think I'll throw this one out of my Bible. Folks, listen. Go back to knowing who God is. He's righteous. He's just. He knows what he's doing. He does not make mistakes. He is God. By the way, just a side note. In this case, it's probably better that those children did die if they were not to the age or condition of accountability. Now, some of you might disagree, but the fact of the matter is I see them in heaven. If they would have grown up with Jewish parents, it would have been a bad deal. They would have been told, reject that Messiah. He's not true. That's just my take. And by the way, I see that as most of the children that were killed the other day. In some ways, they might have been blessed. I know, that sounds harsh. And I would probably never preach that anywhere but down here in Florida, not in Connecticut. They went to glory based on the character of God. And there's a big, good article. Go to, You can get it from me afterwards. It's awesome stuff. Read Safe in the Arms of God by... John MacArthur, it's a good book too. It gives and explains some of these things. God's ways are far above our ways. Simple. He does things and thinks things that are far beyond our comprehension. What are we supposed to do, ladies and gentlemen? Trust him. Folks, I know this world we live in at times looks messy, chaotic. I know there is a real pain every day for many of us. I know most of the world tells you the opposite of what Scripture tells you. But I want to exhort you, don't trust in what the world tells you. Trust in Christ. Don't believe in the wicked world and its lies. Believe in Christ. Place your hope and faith and trust in Jesus alone. and He will save you. Anybody in here? Tried to figure things out and run your own life? Trust me, if you do that, you will run it in a ditch. Turn to Christ. He is good. He's so good that he sent his only son. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, die on a cross so that you don't have to go to hell. Trust him. He is good. He is our hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are in control. Thank you that even when we do not completely comprehend things, you still do everything right. Thank you that your ways are higher than ours and your thoughts are higher than ours. For, Lord, we would definitely mess things up if it was based on us. Oh, God, please help us to trust you. Help us to look to you. We believe. Help our unbelief. We commit our day to you and ask that you be glorified in all that we say and do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.